0: woodside church podcast we're actually starting a new series today Um, and the series is entitled lessons from the wilderness years Um, based on the book of Exodus so we'll be looking at that book during these next few weeks and uh, This this morning we're looking at Exodus chapter 15, so that picks it up after the Passover and the Red Sea, which I'll talk about in a moment. And uh, the title is, We've Been Delivered. Amen. We've been set free. We are free to serve God now. And so, this is written, therefore, this is from the Old Testament book of Exodus, One of the five books written by Moses. Exodus simply means going out or being led out. Okay, that's all the word means. And for them, it was from slavery in Egypt to the promised land of Canaan. And so I'm going to talk about what that wilderness meant, what it means for us, as well as applying this particular scripture. So, actually, being in the wilderness has become part of the English language, you know. Sometimes, if you speak about a well-known author, for example, and then for years nobody read their books, then suddenly they made it, you say, it was their wilderness years. Or it may be uh, a well-known politician who seemed to be always on the back benches for ages, then comes prominently we would say they were in the wilderness for a time and so it's very interesting actually so much of our English language has actually derived from concepts in scripture as a result primarily of the translation of the Bible into English what we call the King James Bible which when that was translated, because it was, came at the same time as the printing press was and everybody could read books now, suddenly that, that, the Bible affected our language, even though we've lost so much of what it te- teaches now. But one of those expressions is being in the wilderness for a while. So what does it mean? Well, the background to this scripture, the book of Exodus, celebrates the setting free of the people of Israel from slavery in egypt and I, and, and, I, and the book of Exodus really has four main events, okay firstly, they were set free by the blood of a lamb being killed the the uh Blood put on the doorpost, and that was the culmination of seven plagues that came upon the people of Egypt where they were being held captive. And remember, these people had been in Egypt for about 400 years. It wasn't just a... Although we get Genesis, they go in, end of Genesis, they go into Egypt, beginning of Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible, they come out of Egypt, but you tend, we tend to forget they were there a long time in between that time. And so they began to get completely infiltrated by the culture of Egypt. And as we go through Exodus, we'll find when they're in the wilderness, a lot of it was how they get set free from some of the things that would have been culturally marked them in Egypt. And so they were set free, firstly, by the blood of a lamb, which we call the Passover. God said, if I see the blood, I will pass over you. And this became something celebrated every year by the Jewish people, right until the time when Jesus came and he celebrated the Passover. I'll come to that in a moment. So they were saved by the blood of a lamb. They were saved, secondly, by an act of great power. Okay, Because the Red Sea opened up and they went on on dry land and the Egyptians tried to follow them, and the Red Sea closed over them. Okay, so they were set free, remember this, by the blood of a lamb and an act of great power. Then the book of Exodus, they then had a time in the presence of God. For them, that was on Mount Sinai, where it was a fearful thing. They were afraid to go near because the presence of God was so powerful. And then God and and they were told how to have a um, a tent in the wilderness, which was like a temple where they could go and worship God. And then finally, they were given instructions as to how to live or the law. Okay, so that's that's the book of Exodus for you. Okay, just in brief outline. Okay, Uh, but. Although this really happened to these people, of course, it was written down by and it was written down by Moses for the people of Israel to know their history. But also, the Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament, in one of his letters to one of the churches. He says this: These things happened to them, talking about what we I've just been talking about, as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Now when the Bible says the end of the age or the um, last days it doesn't mean just before the world ends it means all the times from the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on the church right through until Jesus returns again. So you are those in the last days. Okay, I won't go into why it's called that I haven't got time. But uh, when you read about the last days in the Bible, just remember that—that's what it's talking about. And so, this was written for us. Paul says, "Okay." So just tell your neighbour: This was written for you. <laughs> uh, what? It wasn't just a story a nice story in the old testament it was written to you written because you're one who's living in the time when the in these last days so if it's written for you how do this scripture these books apply to you well firstly if you're a believer in jesus you also are saved, forgiven, justified, free through the blood of a lamb. When Jesus came and started his ministry, John the Baptist looked at him and said, look, look, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, not, just anyone. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in the series we've just finished, that, that's what, around Easter, that's what we talked about. But we're not only saved by the blood of the Lamb, just like those people, we're also saved by an act of great power. Okay? because the act of great power if the, if, the, if the Lamb of God had remained in the grave his blood would not have been very effective for us but actually he rose again that's like the Red Sea there was an act of great power and not only did he die for us to forgive us but he also rose again conquering death so that we have entrance into eternal life hallelujah come on OK. You know, I sometimes worry, if my, my dear African friends, when I preach in Africa, as I do frequently, you, they, you really go for it when I say something like that. When I preach in England, I find Africans have got a little bit overwhelmed by this quiet culture that we have in our, in our nation and forget to be African. Please be African amongst us, okay? Because, yes, <laughs> that's right, okay? Because we've got to learn things from you as, uh, in, in our church life, Okay. Sorry, that was a bit of an aside, but I hope, you, hope you'll bear with it. I just wanted to encourage our brothers and sisters and me. Okay, so, so the Red Sea represents that. And so just as they got set free because the lamb was, died for them and God opened up the Red Sea. So, for us, we're free. Because Jesus died for us, but he's also risen again. So that death, sin, the grave, fear, shame, all these things are totally defeated. Amen? Amen. Amen. Good. All right. So, the Red Sea also... Represented baptism in water. Because that's our entrance into. The Christian faith. Okay. So we receive it. We receive the truth. And then we're baptized in water. And Paul also says about this. It He says. That. They were the the people of Israel were baptized to Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The cloud was what led them, and the sea was the Red Sea. All of them were baptized as followers of Moses, and we are baptized as followers of Jesus. We start that way as well, and uh, we've actually got some baptisms here in two weeks' time. Okay. And I'm praying we have quite a lot more after that. And it may be some of you here need to consider that, saying, yes, I've started this Christian life and I'm going to follow that way as well. Now, for them, the wilderness represented two things. The period of preparing them to go into the promised land, the land of Canaan, And testing to see whether they would follow God. Remember, they'd just been led; their their whole nation's culture had been affected by the land of Egypt because they'd been there for four hundred years. And God was testing them in the wilderness. Will you live differently? Okay. So He's preparing them and testing them. And. I didn't do too well with the testing okay so instead of it taking a few weeks you know just to quickly walk through the wilderness would have taken about six or seven days now we know it wasn't going to be able to take that long anyway because the first year was spent getting the law and staying at Sinai and so on hearing God's word preparing everything there but After that, they could have moved quickly into the land. But because they kept missing the test and failing to obey, they didn't fully enter. They were still saved out of Egypt, but they didn't fully enter into all that God had for them. Okay. So, that's what it represented. And so they lived 40 years in the wilderness. Imagine. 40 years in a desert when you've lived in the fertile land of Egypt, and now you're 40 years in the desert where they often failed the tests. That's why when Jesus came, because he was the Messiah of Israel and became Israel's representative, and he spent 40 days in the wilderness. Okay, forty years, forty days, and overcame all the tests of the devil, so that he could live, he could be the one that became our savior. All right. For us, we experience wilderness. We have. Times of testing individually and all together. You know We've been through a wilderness time in the pandemic, when churches couldn't meet, when sadly people deserted churches, although others came. We've had a wilderness time. Okay. You have wilderness times individually and some of the things that bog you down personally. Other times, times of economic collapse, it's like a wilderness time. Or times of war can be like a wilderness time. And it's a question of how we maintain our faith during those times. But, and in that sense, the promised land, Canaan, is heaven or the new heaven and new earth. But actually, because, and this is, I hope you can get this, but because we live in a time when the kingdom has come in Jesus, but has not yet fully come until Jesus returns, we enjoy the promised land now, okay? So we're in the wilderness, but we also enjoy the promised land. And sometimes our experience as Christians is, this is brilliant, it's all been promised land. And then we go through times of, this is a bit tough. We're going through tough times. We're fleeing as refugees. We're going into a strange place. Then we're in wilderness. But for the Christian, we have both at the same time. Okay. I hope that explains. You all with me so far? Yes. And that explains what this book's about and how it applies to us. Okay, well, having said all that, let's read some of it from Exodus chapter 15. It'll go up on the um, screen there. We're starting at the end of chapter 14 to get the context. By the way, I'm reading a, quite a lot of scripture today. And sometimes in our shortened service of the modern day, people think, well, I've got a lot to say, preachers think sometimes, I can't read much scripture. Actually, the New Testament says the opposite. Paul writes to Timothy, give yourself to public reading of the Bible. Okay, now that was particularly important then because none of them would have had Bibles at home. Okay, the only time they heard the Bible read was when it read publicly because they were on big scrolls and they wouldn't have been able to take those home with them. Okay? But actually, it's good for us too, because although we do, some of us read the Bible at home, the actual public reading of it is something that's very, very important, because that's what speaks to us. So here goes. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord And in his servant Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. You know, some of this, it says, Moses and the people of Israel sang it. As we see later, Miriam taught it to all the women of Israel. And so, shall we both say it? Bits of it, bits of wonderful truth, I just want you to say as well. Okay? So if we look at that again, it says... I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled horse and rider into the sea. Now, this is something we can all sing. Next bit, okay? One, two, three. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Come on, is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Amen. Okay, now I'll read a bit. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and army he has hurled into the sea. The finest of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters gushed over them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Now let's read a bit together, shall we? One, two, three. Glorious in holiness. Awesome In splendor, performing great wonders. Okay, I'll read now. You raised your right hand and the earth swallowed our enemies. With your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed in your might. You guide them to your sacred home. The peoples hear and tremble. Anguish grips those who live in Philistia. The leaders of Edom are terrified. The nobles of Moab tremble. All who live in Canaan melt away. Terror and dread fall upon them. The power of your arm makes them lifeless or as stone until your people pass by, O Lord. Until the people you purchased pass by, you will bring them in and plant them in on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, reserved for your own dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. The Lord... Will reign. Let's bring that, one, that bit together, shall we? One, two, three. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine. I hadn't pre arranged for this to happen. Okay, so we won't do that. Okay, took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. And Miriam sang this song to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea and they moved into the desert of Shur. They travelled in this desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the uh, oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place of Marah, called the place Marah, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. "What are we going to drink?" they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Mara that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. After leaving Mara, the Israelites travelled on to the oasis of Elim, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They camped there beside the water. Okay, so what does this teach us? Firstly, the victory song. This wonderful song was composed spontaneously at the time, but then became a familiar song. As Miriam taught the women, that would mean that in every family the children will be taught to sing this song okay yeah that's what would have happened mother would have sung this song all the children would have sung this song and it became something they would have regularly sang therefore um, but at first, it was a spontaneous history of what God had done and what he would do in the future. By the way, folk poets in Eastern and other cultures can carry complex storytelling songs completely spontaneously. That's been well-researched in, uh, in, in studies of various la- uh, languages. In our culture, I guess, songs by rap artists would be an example of this. So it was culturally appropriate, but also, of course, in this case, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the song in Hebrews actually has a very powerful rhythm in Hebrew. I don't know Hebrew, but I read books about it. And uh, I read one commentary where they had tried to write it out with the rhythm that it would have had in Hebrew, which was very, very, you know, a real drum beat. I'd have loved... Uh, Again, I haven't asked Callum to do this, so I won't do it now. But he did it with a real drumbeat. Boom, 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 boom. You know, that's how it was done. And uh, it's also, the Bible says, a song that will be sung in heaven. It says in Revelation. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Let's say this together, shall we? One, two, three. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Amen. So, the characteristics of this song he says, I will sing. Yeah? It's determination, it's not passive. It could be translated, I must sing, or let me sing. to Yahweh, the name that distinguished the true God, supreme in a world of many gods. And that was actually the usual word for God in the Psalms. Usually translated, the Lord, with capital letters for the Lord. Um, simply because the Jewish people, after a while, didn't used to pronounce the name of Yahweh, they thought it was too holy. So when they said the Lord, they meant that's who they were referring to, the true God, Yahweh. I was glad we sang that song during the worship, which celebrates that name of our God. So God is fighting for us. Though we may not see the effects of that immediately in God's ways, death is defeated for us. Suffering is for a season. And we declare during suffering our trust in God. Okay, Because we're going to worship God in the midst of our trouble. God is fighting for us. And although it doesn't look like it, we declare our trust in God. God's unique character. All other gods, so-called gods, are defective. They're either not not all-powerful or they're capricious or they're unknowable or they're not all-loving. And it also gives confidence for the future. Moses prophetically refers in this song to future enemies defeated. Other nations in fear as God's people advance on their journey. Confidence in God will bring us into the promised land, into his glorious presence. And then Miriam the prophet, it says, she's described as Aaron's sister. She was also Moses' sister as well, because Aaron was Moses' brother. But she's not called Moses' sister, probably because they, it's an Eastern book, so they honoured the oldest in the family. And so she's Aaron's sister. And uh, the... Can I say, women in prophecy is very early in scripture and very important. And Miriam was known as the prophet and led the women in song and dance as they celebrated and sounded their tambourines. It must have been quite a time, hasn't it? Can you imagine it? They've sung this glorious song. Moses composed it spontaneously. They all joined in. Miriam made sure all the women knew it so that in every family the uh, song would have been sung. Let's celebrate what God has done. And then they had the first test. After three days of... water for them and all their animals was used up their water containers which would have been skins were emptied and they were in a desert oh dear imagine and then they see an oasis we're okay folks don't worry we're nearly there and then they got to this oasis here's some water and they took a drink and it was bitter you know, these sort of bitter waters, apparently very healthy for you. But I hadn't quite understood that. And it's very hard. Scylla and I, when we're in Russia, often go to a place called Kislovodsk, which means bitter waters. And it's a place where there's loads and loads of springs. And you go into a big hall in this place, You go in quite freely, and it's got probably 50 different sorts of water that all of them, that come from the mountains around there. And then we try and drink it. (laughs) It's it's very healthy, but it's terrible. (laughs) We don't tend to be thinking, this is really healthy. We're thinking, this is bitter. Oh, Oh dear. And we go from one to one, and some of them smell worse than they taste, even. <laughs> and it's, and so, you know, we're we're trying to show to our host that we're really enjoying this experience, you know, and yes, this is such a remarkable place. It's been like that. So I can sympathise with the people of Israel. You know, we, they'd gone to their Kislevotsk. They called it that. Or they called it Mara, but meant the same thing. And, uh, and so, Moses, and they start grumbling. We've run out of water. We've now found an oasis. And we can't drink it. And they grumble against Moses failed the first test. God had rescued them from Egypt. He'd brought them through the Red Sea, but they couldn't trust him to give them decent water. And God said to Moses, just get some of this wood. Throw it in. We don't know whether it was a tree that had helpful properties or whether it was a complete miracle. But whichever it was, it was miraculous because God told Moses to do that there. And the water became sweet. Hallelujah. Oh. And then God said to them, this is your first test. Now, you obey and you won't suffer like the Egyptians did. And then he gave that wonderful promise. Because the Lord is our healer. Amen. Amen. The Lord is our healer. Just, if it's something you want him to touch, just, just... I'm just gonna pray for you, okay? If there's something you want the Holy Spirit to touch, the Lord is our healer. Just bring that to him right now. Okay, that's what the Bible says. In Jesus' name, you are our healer. I pray that all over this room, people will be set free from things that have given them pain or suffering. Lord, I ask, do that now for them. The Lord, our healer. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, then finally, they came to a beautiful oasis where there were... um, all these springs and palm trees and it was beautiful and it was glorious and the, the God does that even in the desert. It was called Elim because it was something that they said, wow, God's presence is here. Luke and I were comparing notes just before the meeting and uh, he's saying he's going to start with that next week so... I said, okay, I won't say so much about it as I'd planned. And actually, that was, time's gone anyway. <laughs> so you've got to, you can talk all about Elium next week then, Luke, as they moved on from there, this place of amazing refreshment, prefiguring our refreshment in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, talking about rivers of living water, This he said about the Holy Spirit, which those who believed in him were going to receive. Amen? Amen. 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 That's what God is doing. So, just as I close, a few questions. And if you're studying this in your small groups, your community groups, you'll find these questions. I thought I'd give them on Sunday, in case you didn't. How are you doing how are we doing in our personal wilderness and our general wilderness like we've been through in the pandemic who will be faithful to the word of god despite the fact that we went through a very difficult time when many sadly weren't able to continue will you how you'll be in the desert how are we doing in our cultural wilderness See, those of us who are a lot older remember times when, even though people weren't believers, there was at least some sort of Christendom worldview in society. There isn't any anymore. Culturally, the church in the West is now in a wilderness. Yeah? Yeah? How will we do? What's the test? Faithfulness of the word of God, or simply taking the values of the culture. As I think about that, because we find it hard, I think of my many people who are friends of mine all across the world who are actually being persecuted and put in prison for their faith. They're in a cultural wilderness but they're being faithful to God in the midst of that. We, like the book of Hebrews says, have not suffering physically now. Let's remember that. Okay. Do we grumble? Or better, do we sing and rejoice in what God has done. Is that what we'll do? Okay. It's hard to grumble and worship at the same time. Have you noticed that? (laughs) Okay. So, as we close, let's sing just once through that song that we sang earlier, which which celebrates that name of Yahweh. Let's rejoice in that, shall we? Amen. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.